is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 199 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Joe Solari all about author marketing audits. But first, to last week's question, which was, what book has been on your TBR forever, but you've been putting off? Nobody answered. So obviously, you're all on top of your TBRs, which I find deeply difficult to uh, believe. (laughs) But nonetheless, this week's question is, what's the last book that truly, truly blew you away? I want to know the books that absolutely floored you. Maybe it's because you weren't expecting it to, or maybe it's because it was one of your favourite authors and they just nailed it. Yeah, tell me, what is the last book that blew you away? The book recommendation for this week is actually a Netflix recommendation. So I watched The Diplomat uh, in about three days and I loved it so much that I then... (laughs) proceeded to make my wife watch it and so I have now watched it twice in two weeks which is basically unheard of for me. I don't typically re-watch or reread anything but it was so good I had to make her watch it <laughs> so in order to make her watch it I needed to re-watch it. So this was a recommendation that came to me from Jeff Elkins who's actually going to be on the show in a couple of episodes time and it was truly fantastic. The dialogue was exceptional. Uh, The Diplomat is about a character who is uh, the British ambassador, uh, the American British ambassador. And it's set in, I guess, like the Houses of Parliament and sort of British estate houses. And and there's lots of sort of American politics. We get to see the president. And it's kind of, it reminds me a little bit of Scandal meets the West Wing, except in in the British government system. And it, it, it really was like fantastic. I challenge you to give it at least one and a half episodes before you dismiss it. Um, But I don't think there is a better recommendation that I can give other than to say I watched it twice within two weeks and I never rewatch anything. (laughs) So, yeah, I highly recommend The Diplomat on Netflix. Okay, so in personal news and updates then, uh, last week I think was probably the worst of the exhaustion. I'm still refusing... (laughs) still refusing to call it burnout but it was the last the the worst of the exhaustion I do feel better this week though uh today I have woken up with a headache but um for the first time I have uh sort of felt like I am thinking about plans again I'm thinking about like I'm starting to chomp to want to write again which is fantastic so I think given that uh we go on holiday in five days I think uh, and we're away for a good two weeks I think by the time I come back I will probably be absolutely chomping to get back to work which is good that's exactly where I want to be um you know I do think that I need this extended period of rest because <laughs> we all know that my perception of reality is not necessarily <laughs> what is actually reality <laughs> So I'm saying I feel better. And given that I actually woke up with a headache today, uh, perhaps I'm not, in fact, as better as I think I am. But nonetheless, I, yes, I haven't done an awful lot this last week. I have been just sort of tidying up odds and ends, um, finishing up the bulk of uh, the freelance stuff uh, that is more or less done now. Uh, so I'm moving into my new role, which means my I've been a bit adrift, I would say, uh, with not as much as I would normally do. Um, so that's been uh, bizarre and I'm still trying to grapple with what my time looks like and, and where I'm going to focus my time and energy. So today, after I finish the podcast, I am going to um, sit down with a pen and <laughs> multiple posters because what else am I going to do? It's Sasha. Um, and I'm going to look at what life looks like after holiday and what I'm going to be doing. One of the first things that I'm going to be doing other than writing uh, book three is uh, course creation. I've got a couple of courses I'm absolutely desperate uh, to do so I'm just trying to work out whether or not I should do them live or whether I should and then sort of um, 
you know, sort of a live one-off thing or if I do like, uh, you know, self-paced courses. So I would love to hear from you if you have a preference between live and self-paced, uh, self-paced, uh, what you prefer. That would be great. In fact, actually, maybe I should do a poll on that. In fact, I think I will. Uh, okay, so uh, in terms of updates then, that's it. I am binge reading. Uh, at, like, I, I made myself laugh. Like, tell me you're exhausted without telling me you're exhausted. I've read like nine books this month and it's the 13th. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I can tell I'm tired because the reading has gone through the roof. Uh, and that is a surefire sign that I'm exhausted. So anywho... Let's let's get on because I don't have an awful lot of updates and this will be the last update until I'm back. I, I feel a bit odd that I haven't got a huge amount to say, but I'm hoping that once I come back, I'll be like, and blah, 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 because of all of the thoughts that I've had and and I've, I've made a, a commitment to myself that I'm going to uh, journal whilst I'm away, which I haven't done for a really long time, but I just feel like it will help intellection. Uh, to just focus in on all the important things. So anyway, I'm going to move on to Rebel of the Week. So the Rebel of the Week this week is Anonymous. I always love an Anonymous one. Uh, to be fair, I love the non Anonymous ones too. Uh, but I, I always wonder what's coming when it's Anonymous. Okay, it says, As a teacher, I have to hit certain checkboxes for the state to say, yes, I really educated children, especially as I get them ready to go off to middle school, grades six to eight here in the U.S., all of the states in the US have to teach history of the state at various points in the curriculum. Because I live in Massachusetts, everyone focuses on the pilgrims. Now, personally, I know a bit too much about the pilgrims having gone to school outside of Plymouth, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. The thought of teaching some rosy bit of whitewashed history that ends with a bunch of folks sitting around the fire singing what's so funny about peace, love and understanding or whatever the 17th century equivalent of that song might be and eating turkey, which they really didn't, uh, didn't sit well with me. The first year I did teach it, I actually started with Henry VIII and the split from the church to form the Anglican church so that he could marry Anne Boleyn and up to how Elizabeth basically tried to fix the rift unsuccessfully and why the pilgrims were run off to the Netherlands. Then I explained how it was a kind of win-win to send them over to the New World because they were originally supposed to land uh, in New York on the Hudson. The crown figured if they died trying, there was a thorn not in his side anymore. And if they made it, well, he now had people who understood the Dutch that had settled there and could negotiate trade agreements for them. Landing in America's hometown was a complete and total accident. I figure they had to know the backstory before learning the whole story. Then the class came to the field trip uh, in Pl Pilmouth Plantation. One of my 10-year-olds asked the Pilgrim, uh, Pilgrim actor if they had read Martin, Luther the uh, Martin Luther's thesis. A high school kid behind him said, uh, Martin Luther King came long after the Pilgrims. My kiddo turned around and said, no, Martin Luther, the guy who started the Protestant Reformation in Germany. You know, the Lutheran church. I'm probably saying that wrong. Duh. A parent tapped me on the shoulder and asked, where do you teach? When she found out that the school was an hour away from where she lived, she was disappointed because she wanted her kids learning like that. My principal, after that incident, told me to stick to the book. Next time, though, I decided to listen to my inner rebel and taught the Salem witch trials for my local history module. Let's get real here. When you're teaching a bunch of kids about to go off into the hell of middle school would you rather uh, they be making dutch oven jokes without knowing why it's funny because they got a reference from watching a heavily edited version of deadpool 2 on a commercial tv station but have no idea what it means or would you rather have them prepared for the sniping gossipy backstabbing fun of middle school so i teach them about the witch trials and played the who's witch who's the witch game where i tell them i'll pick one person to be the witch they have to figure it out and make a good argument at the end of the week for who it is and why of course, no one is the witch, but it's a good way for all of them to learn how quickly people can gang up on someone for no reason and what it's like to go along, uh, 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 to get along. Needless to say, the unit was a good one. The kids learned a lot and I hope I made them better people in the end. My principal, however, was not pleased. She just demanded to know why I taught Salem instead of Plymouth. I told her I had to teach local history. She demanded to know where in the state guidelines it said I had to teach Salem. Instead of hemming and whoring, I asked her to show me where it said I had to teach Plymouth. She told me to stick to the book. 
Of course, there was also the time my principal thought it would be cute for me to use scoot cards, cards with trivia and questions are planted around the room for kids to scoot around and find as an interactive learning tool for teaching local history about the Puritans. I may have found the wrong set of cards about how the Puritans screwed the local natives out of land and such for the trivia and learning questions. Oops, wrong file. The kids liked it, even if they were upset about finding out how the Puritans were essentially horrible human beings instead of the religious and moral men they are taught to be. Rebels for the win. I love this. I love that teaching um that your teaching style in particular is teaching kids to not just accept everything wrote and to question things i think that's fantastic um i really do think that sometimes kids are um taught in school just to accept information as a given rather than going and checking the assertions or going and you know doing their own investigation to establish whether or not something is true or whether or not they believe it to be true so i love that if you would like to be a rebel of the week please do send in your story it can be any kind of rebellion you can email your rebel story to becca over on rebel author podcast at gmail.com and as always we are in need of new stories one new patron this week with a fantastic name, Madge or Mage, like as in Magi, Magic, uh, Mage Prometheus. What a fantastic name. Uh, thank you and welcome. And a huge thank you to all of my existing patrons. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content like movie nights, we watched The Fifth Element last night. We're going to watch Red, White, White and Royal Blue on its launch day in August. Uh, then you can, from as little as $2 a month, by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. This episode is sponsored by Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors and their team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help you reach new readers around the world. Kobo's author-first approach is one of the reasons they developed a promotions tool. This is an easy and affordable way for you to market your book directly to Kobo readers. Offer lots of promotions that don't require you to drop your price because they know when you're publishing wide, it can be a pain to coordinate pricing across multiple retailers. Any promotions listed as a percent off, e.g. 40% VIP sale, mean you don't have to change your price as the discount will be provided by a promo code at checkout. If that sounds good to you, keep an eye out for percent off promotions and buy more save more sales where you can submit your titles and leave the rest to Kobo. And if you're taking part in a promotion, be sure to tell your readers all about it. The promotions tool is updated on a weekly basis, so make sure you're taking a regular look to see what's on offer and if there's an opportunity that matches your books and marketing plans. If you're a KWL author and don't yet have access to the promotions tool, email the team at writinglife at kobo.com and they'll enable this for you. If you want to learn more about KWL, check out the Kobo Writing Life podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and find them on social. You can create your free account today at kobo.com forward slash writing life. Right, that is it from me. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I'm joined by Joe Solari. Joe works as a business and marketing consultant with best-selling authors. He authored the book Advantage, Harnessing Cumulative Advantage in the Winner Takes All Publishing Market, uh, the podcast Hello Author, and the course Treat Your Writing Like a Business. He has been a guest speaker at 20 Books Las Vegas and Nink, and on the podcast The Self-Publishing Show, The Writer's Journey, and Read See, and now The Rebel Author. <laughs> it's finally complete. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How are you? Good, and you? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Would you like to tell everyone a little bit about your journey before we get into kind of all the detail and, and sort of like how, how you got to where you are today? Sure, because it's first off like this, what I'm doing didn't even exist when I went to school. Like, it's not like you could go and say, oh, I'm going to be somebody that works with authors and helps them with their business practices and the indie community in large, like that just didn't exist, right? So the path for me to get to where I'm at today started with my wife writing a book. Right. And she, yeah. So she was, and this was early days. So this was like 2014, 2015. And 
she was having issues with KDP and Amazon. Not that it was really hard to do anything on that platform in those days. Right. Um, so I got involved to help out. And when I went into her account the first time, there was $4,000. <laughs> and so seeing it was a book about um, styling jeans and t-shirts, I got really interested in what was going on with this publishing thing. Like that somebody could make that kind of money off of what was like a picture book. Right. Um, it wasn't a lot of words and, and also it was, it required a lot of work, right. There's create space was trouble. Everything was hard. So I had to start becoming the technical assistant. So fast forward. Um, I've been entrepreneurial my whole life. I had just finished um, starting up and selling a business in the water treatment industry and I figured, well, she made this money out of books and I'm a smart guy. I'll, I'll write a book. And, you know, this, <laughs> this, right. The six people that bought the book, which was about creatives and running a business happened to be authors and people in the 20 books group who said, Hey, we'd like for you to talk more and more about this stuff. And so then I got pulled into this whole world of the indie author community and it was really at that first 20 books conference. And what was that 2017 that I recognized we're like in this golden age of content creation. And there are these people that are doing stuff and I could have a front row seat at this. I could kind of be part of this in a different way, bringing my experience around running a business, because that's one of the things that was a big missing link for people. There was like, I can write a story. Now I've got a business. Now I've got customers. What do I do? So that's how it gets me to this point now where I work with uh, authors. I have a partner who's a CPA. We do their bookkeeping, their payroll. Um, we help them with their marketing strategies. We work on their business plans and financial strategies. And, you know, our private client base this year we'll do close to $20 million in gross revenues. So one of the things that you're talking about at the moment is like the age of AI and what's that do, what that is doing to like attention and marketing. And you've just recently brought, well, I think it's recently, but you've got a marketing audit, which you're, you're trying to uh, get authors to do. So let's, let's talk about that. Um, sure. What is the audit? Why is it important? Why do we need it? Yeah. So um, in my trying to figure out how to help my clients, I've spent a lot of, you know, when I first came into this, I really was just like, well, here's some good business practices. Like this is not anything special. It was just, you're a small business, do these things. I then had to start really understanding how publishing worked and the the, the facets of it that are different from other businesses. And one of the big things that is fundamentally different is um, this market is what's called a winner take all market, right? So a very few, um, very few people make most of the money, right? And it isn't a supply demand thing, right? Because there's no end to the amount of books that are out there. Putting aside AI for a second, just the number of authors producing works you know, it's close to 3000 books a day on, on Amazon. So AI, maybe double that or triple that, you know, in a, in a traditional supply demand market, what happens is, is the price would go down to nothing, right? Because books are free, but that's not what happens, right? Lots of books never get bought and a few authors make all the money. So how, how do you, knowing that, how do you build a business around that? And I think one of the things for authors to really understand is there's two important assets to their business. There's the intellectual property, right? You got to tell a good story. And then do you earn the attention of an audience that's willing to pay for that? And that's the finite resource that we have to really focus on is how do you earn that attention? And the audit is about that, is about there's these 20 different things that I look at. And if you measure them, right? And we have a scale, you just go in. One being I strongly disagree, five, I wholeheartedly agree on my perception of this in my business. So like a question like, I understand how the publishing market works. Well, if you're a one, 
<laughs> There's a lot to learn and we'll help you learn that. So I think that's the importance of this audit is to give authors a way to kind of frame what they need to learn to do this job right. Okay. So what impact is AI having on that attention and the market? Yeah, I think that um, the, the whole thing with AI um, is it's going to create a lot more stuff, a lot more good stuff and a lot more bad stuff. Like it's who's using the tool that's really going to drive its production. And so where when authors may be come concerned or fearful around like, oh, there's going to be all these, you know, way more titles coming out every week. Is that going to make it harder for me? Not if you focus in on the other side of the equation. If you focus in on having an audience that you've earned their attention and they're waiting, they're patiently waiting for your next book or they're not patiently waiting. They're screaming, where's my book? Where's my book? Like that's where you want to get your audience to where they're, you're not having to sell them anymore. They've already rationalized the purchase based on how they've attached their identity to your characters in your story world. And when that happens, um, not only are they waiting for your product, they're trying to bring more people into that tribe. And, and that, that's the real power that off, especially indie authors have is they can get away from all of this stuff. Like there's a lot of information about marketing, but when you stop and you say like, how would I market if I stopped listening to all of these experts and I just treated customers the way I would like to be treated? How much of that other stuff would you never do again? Hmm. That is an interesting question. Um, I think, I think oh, what would you stop doing? What, what do you think of the mistakes authors are making with their marketing? Um, I think uh, a lot of it's focusing on selling a book and not about um, creating an experience, right? You're not really selling, a, you're not selling books. You're, 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 the books are the medium or audio is the medium. And in, in, in our lifetime, there's going to be new storytelling mediums created that don't exist today, that your stories will be applicable to. So how do you use, uh, you know, that knowledge as, as an author? It's like, well, what do you get out of reading a book? Right. It's an experience. It may be a very solitary experience, but it's something for most readers. It's, it's, it's a, a special private time that's dear to them. And if you start, looking at how you can help people to understand the idea of like, my book is worth that precious time. Um, then the whole equation changes because if you're just saying, Hey, buy my book, buy my book, my book's great. I write urban fantasy. I want to, you, you like urban fantasy. I write urban fantasy, buy urban fantasy. Like there's only a million other authors doing that. You just fade into the noise. So what are some practical ways that we can talk about our books differently? Like, what does it look like, the difference between selling a book and selling an experience? Sure. So, um, you know, when I look at uh, some of my clients and the stuff that they've, they've done well, you know, one of, the, one of the places where I learned this was from a guy named Chris Kennedy, who writes um, science fiction. And he was a client of mine. We're helping with business. And then one of our calls, it came up that his fan club, he had let them go and incorporate their own fan club. He had no control over it. And I, from a business perspective, I was like, my God, that's the, the most insane thing I've ever heard. Why your intellectual property? What are you doing? And he's like, Joe, um, these guys come to our, come to cons dressed in full regalia in our, and as our characters, they spend thousands of dollars doing it. They have more time and more effort to put in this than I do. And if I don't write books then I don't support my side of it. So I trust them enough to do that. Right. And what came out of that is like, Oh, it's about giving them some ownership. Right. It's like this product is so dear to them that these guys have gone and created a fan club. 
they're writing books on like, if you want to dress like this mercenary group, here's where you buy the, the different things to do the, you know, to get the pants right, to get the boots right. And they're going to cons. Like, you don't have to worry about selling that person a $4 book. Like, they're into it. Why they're into it is because they own that. So, like, how can you, in your brand, like, how can you help them to have ownership? But here's another step even below that. And I think this is where authors can really can get uh, hung up is, if one of your if one of your your fans was to sit down with somebody that was a perfect next fan, what would you want the words to come out of their mouth? If you could just have them say exactly what you wanted them to say, what would those words be? And if you can't articulate that yourself, if you don't know how, what that brand promise is that you want them to believe in to say to somebody else, start there. Like understand your brand promise. So one, it's in all your books. And two, it's in your marketing so that it's messaged properly for your fans to be able to believe it and say it to other people. And then when those other people experience your product, they're like, oh, yeah, it's on brand. Right? So, they're closing their loop. Uh, no, I, so I like this, but it's quite um, strategic and high level. So for, yeah. for an author who's brand new, what is a brand? Like, can you give me an example of what a brand promise sounds like or looks like? Because... I get it. And I know, like, I would definitely use feelings and tropes and things like this to, to kind of convey that. But for somebody who's new and perhaps only has one book or two books, how, how did, what are the types of, like, what does that sound like? What does that look like a brand promise? Yeah. And that's a great, great question. And, you know, rather than just saying, Hey, here's, you know, I can spout somebody's tagline. How would you go around figuring that out? As a new person, let's use that as an example. Well, um, you you do have to be strategic. You have to think about like, okay, I think my ideal customer is this type of person looking for this type of book. And you know, there. Let's say you've chosen to write urban fantasy or paranormal romance. Paranormal romance, use for example. What are those tropes? What are those feelings? You know, understanding that what the comp authors are right. And this seems really mechanical at this point, but it's helping you as that new author to think about the pieces that we kind of unconsciously put together to form the puzzle. Like, oh, I like enemies to lovers. I like darker, smuttier paranormal romance. I, It's like these comp authors. And then you can kind of make that into an elegant sentence or two that adds your little flair to it. Hmm. And I think it's, you know, I can look at a lot of authors that are big deals now that have almost in a sense created their own genre or subgenre. But if you go back and look over their career, what you've seen is they started with what I just said. And through a series of their writing and maturing, they brought an audience along with them to this new place and define that new space. Right. You can't take like if somebody was to come out and see like when you you're really successful, they could case study you and identify the tropes and break all that down. But that's not how that process happened. That process happened by you writing dozens and dozens of books and you maturing and an audience maturing with you. I know it's a little convoluted, but that, did that you think that answered that? I think so. So I think it, you're kind of saying it's gestalt, like gestaltism, the, the whole is more than the sum of the parts. And you can't really get to that until you've written enough books. So it's like the brand of a career rather than like, and when you're at the beginning, it's more the mechanical side of pitch. Yeah. You at know. least st start with the mechanical at that point, yeah. right? Yeah. Like don't try and copy somebody else, but say, Hey, this is what I'm trying to like, let's be realistic in any genre, genre fiction. People want like 70% the same and 30% surprise. Yes. Right. So start under like, this is the 70% I'm going to work with that, that I want to make sure I get right. And they, I meet those genre expectations. Mm -hmm. And then this 30%, I'm going to, maybe I can't even fully articulate it at this point, but I'm going to work on figuring out what, how to express that. And then when you do that enough and you start to build your audience, the single best place to get it like distilled is go into your, your, whether it's your Facebook group or your, your email list and ask them like, 
how would you, if you were going to tell a friend how you would describe my books, how would you do it? Like if you were trying to get them to read my books. That's get, how the rebel author came about. I didn't name this. Right. Like, and, and you, and if you, you probably would have spent all kinds of time coming up with something that never would have resonated or, you know, now people go to AI and we'll go, well, yeah, we'll let AI name the podcast. And it's going to give you, you know, the most popular names that are just like somebody else's names. Whereas your audience is like, no, she's a rebel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And we're rebels. <laughs> right. I should hope so. Um, <laughs> what do you think are like, so for the newer authors, what do you think are the most important, like foundational marketing structures that, um, you know, an indie author needs to have in place in order to kind of help customers discover their brand? Yeah. I, um, so I'm a, I'm a real big believer in this whole thing is, um, before you really start focusing on advertising and bringing people in, you need to have a back end that deals with some structures. And the structures are, we need to have nurturing, like we need to bring in prospects and nurture them to customers. Um, we need to have a nurturing process for customers to get them to uh, fulfill what roles they want to in your community, right? So let them understand the paths that you're allowing uh, your fans to do? Like, can they have leadership roles in your community? Can they take on different things for you that you want them to do? And then uh, retention system. And that's where things kind of blur, right? But, you know, the the, the good and bad thing about an author, it, being an author is this, is like your best fans come in and read all your shit. And then they're like, where's the next book? Like that's the identity of a good fan is now they're bugging you where your next book is. So that's almost like churn. It's almost like they've left, right? Like they achieved your lifetime value that you could get today. They read 10 books and now they're like, what's next? So how do you build something that keeps that attention that when the next book is ready, you can hit a button and they say, okay, we're ready. Right. Building that takes time. And when you build it right, then all those systems automatically happen. Those structures kind of feed into each other. And, you know, you don't, you don't have to do as much work from that point forward. And go, go ahead. No, no. So I was just going to say, so what is it? What are we building? What, what does it look like in tangible kind of? Yeah. So I, I think that the, the place where I typically build this is in an email system. So I use something like MailerLite or whatever your favorite email uh, service is to do this because that has automations to do it. And then here's the crazy thing. Like you write for a living or you plan to write for a living. The people you want to attract like to read and the format is words. So it should be really simple until you start complicating it. And how do authors complicate it? Well, they start marketing like a digital marketer. They don't write their emails like they would write to a friend or like they would write their books. They get this idea that it's about, oh, I gotta, you know, you know, give you give twice, ask once, and all the stuff you hear marketers tell you to do. And it's like, you don't do that to your friends. You know, and, you know, you know, you've got it right when people are anticipating your emails, when your emails are something that they expect. And when they don't show up, they're like, hey, Sasha, what happened? Is, is, did I checked spam. It wasn't there. Is something broken. And you're like, oh, yeah, I, I forgot to hit send, you know. Yeah, I definitely made uh, a massive industry out of uh, my mailing list for a long, long time. I made it into like this really big complicated deal and so I was avoiding writing them and I would I would do you know I would hate it and and all the rest of it and about a year and a half ago I um was like why why am I making this more difficult than it needs to be so I just started uh talking in my emails the way that I talk in my books or the craft books anyway so mm -hmm. all sweary all stories dick jokes sarcasm 
um, and just taking the piss out of my life, which is basically what I do whilst teaching. And um, all of a sudden, the open rates shot up. <laughs> I was just it's like, crazy. Like, like that. Like you can literally. It's like a twenty percent difference. Um, and I, you know, I would get email. I still get email replies. So one thing I'm not very good at is being consistent, but that's because I have a nine year old and a life and and crazy other things going on. That's the thing I need to work on. But um, yeah, I do think that the biggest mistake authors make is they make a mountain out of a molehill, which I, I can say that because I did that with the emails. Um, so yeah, I think that's I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, I practice what I preach. So when I kind of came to this, when I wrote the first book, Advantage, and I realized this stuff, I'm like, oh, God, everything I'm doing is is horrible. Why do I do this to these people? And so I, I wrote a three email sequence. It was called Tragedy of the Commons. And it was the first thing I did on attention. I said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send you these three emails. At the end of the, at any point in these, there's a spot where you can opt in. My next email sequence isn't going to be until January 1st. So this was kind of around November. It's going to be 45 emails. It's going to be all story-based stuff. And it's all going to be around... Um, Las Vegas and Steve Wynn and some stuff that had happened in my life. I was going to be teaching about author and business stuff, but it was going to be completely different. Here's a sample. I wrote those three emails. 70% of my list did not sign up. Okay. My list is three times the size that it was, and I have a 65% open right now. And I have a, a premium email list that people pay me for. It took three years to get to that point. But by changing everything, right? Like basically like, oh, like I did a really good job copying Russell Brunson and all these other marketing guys that are really smart guys for selling e-commerce products, but it's not me. I'm not being genuine. The minute I started being genuine and talk, and like you said, like talking like I talk, writing like I talk, and telling stories and analogies and all the stuff that I do, bringing all these weird context stuff that comes together in my head really simply, people are like writing me, answering like, and like now I don't have to worry about iOS 15 or whatever next cataclysm because pe- I know when things are working because they're responding to my emails. So we're both talking about nonfiction audiences here. Yeah. How can a fiction author apply this? So I think in some respects, they have it easier if they think about like the idea of like, well, there's two ways you can do it. One is if if you're comfortable with your author persona, either like who you legitimately are and you want to share that or the created author persona that you've come up with that you want to write as, you could do it that way. Or you could say, you know what, my email list is just going to be an extension of my story world. Right. It becomes a place that I can play with just like my um, my my stories. It's an, it's another facet of the business. Maybe it's serialized fiction. Maybe it's cutaway scenes. Maybe I create characters that are over here in email email world that are looking in on my story world and giving gossip and doing things that can be making that experience blur into reality. Because especially when you're writing fantasy and science fiction and some of these really immersive types of genre fiction, that's what people want. Like they want to be immersed in that world. And if you make that feel that way, then they're just going to naturally be attracted to those emails and it becomes fun to write. That's the other thing. Yeah, that's that's really got me thinking, because one of the things I do in all my fiction books is I always play with like uh, structure and there's like newspapers or like, you know, TV announcements and stuff. And there's no reason that I can't have those deliver the announcements for the next books or, you know, because like blurring that line between reality and like that got me thinking, got me thinking. Yeah, there's there's a whole thing of um, what they call unfiction or um, uh, augmented reality. And I wrote about this in some of my emails where we talked about um, some of the things that have uh, been used to promote movies um, where there's kind of a puzzle, kind of a scavenger hunt, feels like a conspiracy theory. You know, probably the last big one was um, 
the last Batman movie where there was code in the poster. And if you followed that, you could go to websites and see things. So it's like, you can have so much fun with this and depending on your genre, build Easter eggs across things and play around with your email in a way where it's like, people are compelled to sign up for it to get the full experience. Yeah. Oh, yep. You've given me an idea. I'm going to, I'm going to create an invitation because the next book is at a competition. I'm just going to invite everybody to the competition, like stuff like that. Like, you know, yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay. I have no idea what I'm supposed to be asking you because we've got for (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the tangent. Welcome to the tangent. Um, Okay, so you've talked about the fact that email is one of these foundational structures. Like what what other kind of marketing systems do we need to help readers find their way through all of our content? Like, so we've talked about, you know, the fact that they'll have a book and, and you know, we'll get them to sign up. And, and then what? What after that? How do we... Yeah. So I'll give another example in an email system and then I'll talk about some other systems. So like, um, you know, most of the the typical structure that you hear about for authors is like you come in, you sign up. um, Let's say it's off of the back of a book that you bought. So we know this person is a paying customer. And then we're going to do things like we're going to give them some warm up emails and then we're probably going to try and sell them something else. And then we're going to throw them on a list. Well, my view is if they signed up and maybe it's they've come off because you've offered some bonus content or a cutaway scene, epilogue, maybe it's a map, whatever it could be that you've gotten to increase the signups off the back of your organic book. And this is the back of book one. All I want to do in that email sequence that they get is talk about what's going to happen in book two. What are the, remind them of the open loops, remind them of what's going to get resolved. We want to get them to read book two. And what happens after book two is get them to book three, book four, book five. Because if you build a sequence like that, which I call a read through sequence, and we improve your read through by five to 10%, which is what we've seen when we do this, you've just made your marketing less expensive and your overall business more profitable. And you've left the reader where they want to be, which is in your story. Like you, your, your business, at that point, you're aligned. They want to keep reading. You want them to keep reading. Now, maybe in there, you say at some point, if you wanted to know more about my world and some other ways that you can participate, click here and I'll send you five emails about how we hang out in the rebel community, right? And have that separate and distinct, right? So the people choose to do that. They show intent right? Oh, well, I've got a Facebook group. Oh, we have Zoom calls on Wednesdays. Oh, we have a pizza party at the end of the month, whatever it is that you do, right? At the end of a series, show them two or three paths that you may have. I mean, if you don't have anything, I understand you may be first series you're working through it, but let's say you got a, a big backlist like you do. Don't say, Hey, I've got 16 different series. Like, cognitively that makes people's brain melt. Yeah. Say, Hey, you know, make it tied to the story. Did you, you know, did you like this character? Did you like this character? I've got a side series off of those, or do you want to know what happens next? Go here. So use, use your email as a function to walk them through that. You can do a similar thing in, um, if you say you're more engaging with your fans, you like to do Facebook stuff. Um, you're getting ready to launch a new book before you, let's say you're going to launch book eight, have a, have a reader party for book seven. Like, Hey, I'm getting ready. Like instead of talking about book eight, buy my book, buy my book, get on pre-order. It's like, Hey, another book's coming up. I don't want you to fall further behind. Right. Let's, let's get reading book seven for those that aren't right. So you can pick up sales on what can, you can actually sell today and you're getting, you're preparing for a better launch of book eight because the more people that are done with book seven will buy book eight. Right. Like, but we, we get too focused on like, well, I'm thinking about a launch. This is my world versus like, there's this spectrum of customers you have that are book three people, book four people, right. How can you help them from where they're at? Right. Because 
not every like eighty five percent of readers are not one click buyers and fast voracious readers, right? So if you build a system for that, that means you're addressing six more six times more customers than if you're just worried about one click voracious readers. Mm, interesting. So let's say you've taken them through their the, your your kind of initial sequence. Like, mm-hmm. is there anything else that we need to do sort of after that? you know, three months, four months, five months of them going through your sequences. Is there anything additional that we should do? Well, I I think it depends what you're trying to do with your audience. And this is where you have to be on brand and be thinking about what they want and how you can do that. So for example, some authors are not comfortable with this, but others are. If you're cool with your fans writing fan fiction, why not have a way for like, hey, if you want to write fan fiction around this, here's how you do it. Opt in over to this group and here's where we share it and here's where we celebrate what you do, right? Um, and that's a system that allows them to have more ownership of your brand and it deals with retention, right? It's giving them something to do while they're hanging around while you're writing and you don't have to do, right? <laughs> um uh, one of my clients who's a big lit RPG person, he's got a discord channel and people are in there while he's writing that. Like, I don't understand that on any level, why I would want to do that with my time, <laughs> but they do. And so he honors that and gives them a way to do it. And it helps with retention. Right. So I, I think you, you know, the the biggest source for this stuff is like, you ask your fans and, and ask. And then like when, the, when they give you answers, ask why, like understand what they're trying to get at, because sometimes they don't fully know it. And of course the easy answer that they're going to give you is I want more books. It's like, let's kind of get, what else can we do? Okay. So one of the things that you talk about in the order is a process map and a customer journey. And we've sort of been talking about what that looks like in your systems, mm-hmm. but a customer journey and a process map, takes me back to my project management days and and corporate hell mare is what I used to call it. (laughs) Why the fuck do I as an author (laughs) need a customer journey? Like convince me that I need to do this. What does it look like? What does it look like? Like how complicated does it need to be? What needs to be in there? Talk me through it. Sure. So you, you take out a piece of paper or you can do this in Canva on their whiteboards is a great place to do it or on a real whiteboard and start Yeah. Um, Start laying out all the places where customers can come in to your system. Like, just start with that. Like, where are the places? Do I have like, am I in promotions? Do I have lead magnets? Can people come in from the back of the books? And you start seeing all these points where customers are coming in and then start mapping out what happens to them. Where do they go? And you're going to be disgusted by what you see. Because you're going to see... Right. Because you're going to be like, oh, this isn't a journey. This is this is a, a a poorly designed maze that goes nowhere. Right. People drop into places. And then when you start going into your oh, they go into the sequence. You go through those sequences and you realize, oh, who wrote this? Somebody must have broken into my email and set the sequence up three years ago. I don't remember <laughs> this. <laughs> right. They're dumping off into this group. I don't even know what TRX 417 means. Like, I remember doing this, but I don't remember doing this. Right. Like, and then you realize that you're, 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 you don't have a journey, right? You don't have like what we talked about earlier, which is like, I come in and maybe I come in for something free. Right. This is a real common one. You come in for my free book. I send you some emails and then I dump you on my email list. And now I start sending you stuff like you're a customer. You're not. You're not a customer. So that does horrible things to your future marketing. You know, if if we're good and we move your conversion rate from a free leads to paying leads and we go from 1% to 2%, it's a 100% improvement. If that means 98% of the people that come into your system, 98 of every 100 people are not customers. They're garbage. They should be in a penalty box and they should stay there. And once every year you go in there and you say, select all delete. 
right? Understand what happens to the intent of those people that come through there and what you do with them, right? Like that's the journey you want to have. It's like, oh, they've read my lead, my, my reader magnet. Now they're, I know they're a warm customer. Now I'm going to try and get them into that series. That's all I'm going to talk to them about. If they don't go into there, I don't see them come in through a read through sequence, then they're not a customer. If I'm doing direct, am I using the actual purchase intent out of Shopify or WooCommerce or Gumroad that says they bought the book and then I treat them like a customer? Like those are all things you can do to get them to your secret evil plan, which is to buy more books, right? Like that's the end game. I want to get you to buy all my books, but I don't want it to be like, buy all my books or like in a perfect world, you don't want him to even buy a box set at a discount. You want him to buy every book at full retail price. How do I design that as a system? Right. When you have your map of what the dumpster fire looks like you have now, then draw what you want it to be. Right. And start with one series. Don't do everything. Start. There's the secret. Start with one your best-selling series, one single series. If you only have one thing, then that's it, right? Because if you think about all the stuff you've written, your your eyes are going to start bleeding. Yeah, I I feel anxious even trying to consider how to where to start with that. <laughs> yeah, and if it's a big series, only go into it saying I'm going to do the first three books. Like I don't trust Solari. I think he's full of shit. He's got to prove it to me. I'll do this for the first three books. And if I see the result of the read through improving from, you know, because here's the thing for most of these series, if you get the first three to four books, right. Those people that make it through that, you got a super high read through. Mm. It's the front end that nobody does. Right. So just like, again, fix this gets back to your hellscape days, right? Like going back and using some of that project management stuff. How do we get projects to get through those critical points, right? Like focus on those points and fix that. That's the bottleneck everything else that improves and compensates around it. As long as you don't start talking about risk man management, we can stay friends. <laughs> <laughs> Were you in banking? <laughs> no, no, project management, but we always used to have to do these fucking risk assessments. And like, it, it would be like, oh, you know, you, you have to do an equality diversity survey. And, but before you do the survey, you've got to do a 10 page risk assessment for the two page survey. Like it was like oh, that kind of bureaucracy. Um, and that is a actual true story. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> it is terrifying. Okay. So um, one of the things that you mentioned was pricing um, and, you know, the fact that ideally we want people to pay full price. So like my last big question then is about pricing and you talk about value extraction strategies, which sounds like a very corporate, <laughs> corporate phrase for an audience. Yeah, it is. Talk to me about yeah. what that means, um, what we need to do, what it is, why they're important um, and, and why we need to create this strategy. Yeah. So um how long have you been writing? Um, writing with intent to publish since circa 2013, 14. Yeah, so and then been I published in, in 2017 was when I first published. Okay, so, yeah. so yeah, so you, um, you've been around to see how uh, times have changed as far as like certain genres. If you put out a book with a decent cover and decent then was not decent now. And it, was fairly coherent. Like you could, you could build an audience, right? Because there just, there wasn't anything in that genre. There was more demand than there was product. Yeah. Um, and you could get what you were asking for, for a book and KU, you can make a bunch of money in that. When times have changed and um, there's a lot of conversation now about wide versus KU and direct. And, and my, my thinking is you need to think about again, attention, like whose attention are we trying to get? And how do we treat people's attention that we're trying to get the way they want to be treated? So do you now release your books on Kickstarter first and build a Kickstarter audience and charge Kickstarter prices on Kickstarter, right? And then from there, move them to direct and then move them to wide and then move them to KU, right? When you think about it that way and you start to think about, you know, while KU is a maybe a, a really significant part of your business today, um, we're not saying leave it. We're saying based on what those people pay for your product, they shouldn't be first in line. Right. 
because they're they're setting a price. And I did an article about this about a month ago, where it's if you if you adjust for inflation, you're not getting 0.004 uh, cents per page. You're getting 0. 0.0037. Or two seven, sorry, two seven. It's 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 thirty percent less than you think it is. So your purchasing your your price is fixed in that system. So in my view, it's like, well, I'm just going to adjust on my however I decide I'm going to go to market where everyone fits. So I know for a lot of my clients, a direct customer is worth eight times what a KU customer is. So we're going to treat them differently, right? And we're going to give them different benefits. And then maybe it takes four months before it goes into the KU program. So what I'm doing there is I'm I'm kind of setting up all these different ways that people can pay what they want to pay. Maybe after it goes into KU, then I start doing, you know, book bub promotions and selling it for 99 cents. You know, I, I don't want to try in, you know, kind of the old school days what we would do is we'd say, oh, well, I'm going to run a, I'm going to sell my my first book at 99 cents because I'm going to get visibility and then sell more books in KU. No. Getting the book first at full price, serve those customers because those people are out there and you want them, they're your best customer. So one of the things that they value is getting the book first. Do that. Takes discipline. Now you have that value structure, right? So it's no different than what Apple does, right? Like the phone I have today, they give away for free because it's almost, it's three years old. But the day it came out, it was 1100 bucks. Yeah, absolutely. Always get the year older model. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The price so much, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's the same fucking phone anyway. <laughs> well, but, but there's certain people like we, there's people that will be used to be waiting out in front of the store the night before to get the phone. It's like, wait a minute, you're so early, you're going to get the broken shit. Like the first, the, like that, those really early, the early iPod, the early iPhone, like those were the ones that were like, oh, well, it's no, it's not giving you cancer. But we want to change the antenna, bring it in right now, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, and they paid the most for it because for them, for their identity, for who they are, I'm an iP- I'm an I- Apple person and I've got the greatest thing, right? I've got a cousin that's like that. So he's had like seven I- uh, the watches. Really? Mm. He's good. But that's him. If you could tell, before, one last quick question before I ask you the ultimate podcast question. Yeah. If you could tell listeners to go away and do one thing, one actionable thing based on everything that you've talked about, what would be the first key thing that you'd tell them to do? I would s- stop um, sending, if they're on Amazon, if that's their main place they're sending, I would stop sending unqualified traffic to that page. Um, I would send it somewhere else because here's, here's the thing that people are missing with that. If you're sending a bunch of traffic, let, let's, let's say it's, it's launch day and you have, you have a hundred real fans that are going to buy this book. If I sent those hundred fans there and they bought it and I would have say a 50% conversion rate when Amazon's algorithm saw that it would lose its mind. It's code would compel it to go find more people like that. If I send those same hundred people that would have the same conversion rate, and then I stack a bunch of stuff on top of that, and I send my list of garbage people that I got from all these promos that never bought anything from me anyhow, and I send now 5,000 people there, and they all bounce, I've driven that conversion rate down to less than a percent. And so I've hurt myself. So understanding that traffic to your website makes sense. Like that's where traffic should be. Conversion on third-party platforms is what matters. And while it seems hard that like, but I've only got 75 people that care, which it's like, just send them because those 75 people will help you, will help Amazon find more people like that, that will come and buy the first book in that series and they'll make their way through. And now you have 80 and then you'll have a hundred 
and then you'll have 200, right? That's how it works. That's how the market works. It's a self-fulfilling loop. It's a positive feedback loop if you do it the right way. So that'd be the one thing, stop sending traffic. Yeah, love it. Amazing. Okay, well, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Hmm. You know, I, I, I think I've always like been a rebel. Like I've all, I've always zigged when other people zag. Like when I, I, I've been in this industry, and probably the single biggest thing that I've been a rebel in this industry is about this whole thing where I stopped and said. I don't know what makes this work. I've heard, I've heard all these very smart clients of mine profess to what works for them and none of it lines up. This guy says it's Facebook. This guy says it's Amazon. This guy says it's BookBub. This guy says it's wearing tinfoil socks. I don't know who's right and who's wrong. What is it? It's got to be something. And stopping and just like, we got to figure out I, I just can't accept this general thing that it's like ads can scale a business. It's, it's bullshit and digging in and seeing that it's no, it's not, it's, it's about, it's not even about the story. It's about the community. It's about people looking to a product to the point that their identity is made by it. Right. Like that, and that it's, that's kind of can be overwhelming for an author, right. Is to think that like people define themselves by the books that you're writing. But when they're tattooing their bodies with your characters. That's literally a goal of mine, like is to get somebody to, to tag my words or, or, you know, it doesn't have to be like a character image, you know, it could be anything, but from, because that is like mark of a true fan, right? Yeah. But here, here think about this. I, I want you to really think about this because this is a fact. When you, when they read your book, you kind of are tattooing your, here's how, when they read your book, and they're uh, creating that story, it's happening in their head. And if we stuck, their, stuck them in, in an MRI machine, when they're recollecting this stuff, they would physically be manifesting your characters in the same space where they hold the associations for their friends and family, right? So this, the, the, the neurons and synapses are forming to keep your character there, right? The chemical reaction there is is your character manifesting in, in the physical world in another human being, right? And when they go back and they ask people questions about their characters, and there's been studies done on this with World of Warcraft avatars and asking about um, characters from Harry Potter, they can see in their brains, the spaces light up where you hold the same associations for your friends and family. So those characters are as real as your friends and family to your brain. That's pretty fucking crazy, mm. right? Like that that's happening in another human being. And it's, they're associating this with stuff in their brain that's unconscious to them. It's not, the, it's not all in the cognitive areas, right? This isn't deep seated stuff where we're holding memories and associations uh, that from our upbringing. It's, it's just crazy what a powerful um, tool that, that authors have that kind of goes unused. Well, that's why stories can change the world, literally. Literally, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, don't, don't forget, you you are tattooing people. It's just inside their brains. <laughs> I like that. Um, okay, tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your your services, your books, anything else that you'd like to add. Sure. Well, I think the big thing is uh, if you go to joesolari.com, that's J-O-E-S-O-L-A-R-I.com backslash uh, A-M-A, for author marketing assessment, there's this assessment we've been kind of talking about. And you go in there and you take the 20 questions. It goes really quick. It's about three minutes to answer them all. Just go with your gut. And then at the end, it'll ask for your email. You don't have to put your email in if you, you don't want to. It'll still give you your score. But if you do put your email in, then you'll get a series of emails talking about those 20 points and how you can improve things. And look at this two ways. One is how can it help your marketing, but how am I using this as a marketing tool? I know it's nonfiction, but there's no reason why you can't steal some idea off of this and make it for how you can help people to understand your brand and what you have to offer them. Amazing. Thank you so much yeah. for your time today. I really enjoyed this chat. 
And of course, thank you. Of course, a giant thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You were listening to Joe Solari, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week is a different kind of episode because it is episode 200. I recorded this yesterday in chronological time. And, uh, well, actually yesterday and the day before because the rebels took over. And boy, <laughs> was it an episode? Let me just put it that way. Um, I, I highly recommend you listen to the whole thing. It was fucking chaos. <laughs> <laughs> in the actual best way possible. Uh, so I really hope that you enjoy the full-on emotional roller coaster that is episode 200. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.